Good evening and welcome to all. Tonight's class is dedicated in the loving memory of the Mumbai Kedoshim and Rabbi Gavriel Noyach and Rifki Holtzberg. It is also dedicated in the loving memory of Alta Shula Bas Rabbi Yosef Yitzchok's word love by our dear friends David and Ida Schattenstein from Columbus. They tell the story about a guy who's walking down the street and he sees two people engaged in strange work. One guy was digging holes and the other guy was covering each hole. So he comes over to them and he says, I don't understand. What are you guys wasting your time for? One of you is digging and exposing holes and the other one is just covering up the holes. What's the point? So they said, listen, let us explain to you. We're three brothers. We were hired by the city to plant trees. One of us digs the hole. The other one plants the seed. And then the third one covers up the hole and hopefully the trees will grow. The middle brother who plants the seeds called in sick today. He has a very bad virus. He's home. So what do you want? We too should not come to work. We got to come to work. This evening we explore the fascinating and very interesting laws of the four guardians. Articulated in Parshas Mishpatim and discussed at length in Talmud and Tractate Baba Metziah. We discussed the four guardians and their psychological applications. Are you a user in life? Are you an enjoyer? Are you a worker or are you a soldier? You'll raise your hand a little later in the class. These are the four models which we explore this evening. What is the laws of the four guardians? The Torah discusses the fact that there are four different models of guardians or custodians or shomrim. Bring up source number one. Please, you can open up your curriculums right below the video. There's a PDF document, source number one. A guardian, a shomer, is any person who for whatever reason is responsible for an object belonging to another person. Altogether, the Torah classifies four types of guardians and the level of responsibility to which each, each is held. Number one is Shomer Chinam, the unpaid guardian. Number two, Shomer Sachar, the paid guardian. Number three, Socher, the renter. Number four, Shoel, the borrower. Generally speaking, these four models encompass many different examples and ways that they play themselves out. But each case in which I am responsible to protect and watch an object or a living creature that my friend gives me, I am called a Shomer, 
and there are many different instances, but from a Jewish legal point of view, they're included in these four models. Generally speaking, these four models can be divided into two categories. The category of the guardian, the custodian, or the user. The paid or unpaid custodian are responsible to guard an object. They don't have a right to use it. They just have to watch it. Whether it's a puppy, a dog, a watch, a plant, or anything else in the world, you are responsible to watch it for a particular period of time and then return it to its owner. In this, we have an unpaid custodian and a paid custodian. A shomer chinam, an unpaid guardian, and a shomer sachar, a paid guardian. The latter two categories are people who actually use the object. They use the product. The socher, the renter, and the shoel, the borrower. I rent your car from you, and I use it. I rent your donkey, and I use it. I borrow your bull to plow my field, as they did in the ancient days, or your vacuum cleaner, and I use it. The difference is, the renter pays a fee for using it. The borrower, of course, doesn't pay a fee, he's just borrowing it. But both are responsible to protect that which they are using, and return it in due time. Now, as long as the time passes, and you give it back to the original owner, everything is dandy and everything about it is happy. You gave me your puppy to watch for a few weeks, you went to Florida, wherever you went to, you come back, I give it back to you, great. The problem, of course, is if the time comes up, the time comes and you can't return the object or the animal or the creature. And the reason is it's gone. It's lost, it died, it was stolen, it's gone, it's damaged. What happens now? Who bears responsibility? Here is where it becomes, as they say in Yiddish, now it's lively. So the Torah articulates the laws in the portion of Mishpatim, and the Mishnah, in tractate Baba Metziah, summarizes the laws. Bring up source number two, please. Source number two is the Mishnah in Baba Metziah, Daftzad Gimel Amar Aleph, 93a. Zak the Mishnah. Arba Shem Remhein, there are four guardians, Shem Rechinam, HaShoyel, Noisisachav, HaSoycheh. The unpaid guardian on one extreme, the borrower on the other extreme, Noise Sachar is the paid guardian of Asoycher and the renter. What is the difference between the four? So the Mishnah continues. Shoimer Chinam Nishba Al The unpaid guardian swears on everything. Any mishap that occurs, he swears that he's not responsible, he was not negligent, he did his duty, and he's absolved. Hashoyel Meshalem The borrower pays for any mishap. He bears responsibility. How about the paid guardian and the renter? They have to swear that they fulfilled their duty. If the animal's limbs were broken, or the animal was seized, was captured, was taken, or it died a natural death, but they have to pay if it was lost or stolen. So here the Mishnah very briefly presents the laws that apply to these 
four guardians to these four custodians. And we have it summarized in source number three. Please bring up source number three in your curriculum, right below the video, source number three. The first case is the Shomer Chinam, the unpaid guardian. The unpaid guardian is someone who's taking care of another's property purely as a favor. He is receiving no compensation for his trouble. Although he is duty-bound to care for the object, because he took responsibility for it, his responsibility in a case of mishap is minimal, because he's doing you a favor, he's doing it for free. If the object is damaged or lost as a result of his negligence, then he must pay. Let's say he left the door open at night. He leaves the door wide open and the puppy runs away. Then he was negligent. He has to pay. But as long as he has provided the reasonable cure to which he obliged himself, and he takes an oath to that effect, he is absolved from responsibility. So if somebody breaks into the house at night and takes the animal or steals the diamond ring or steals the watch, or he's walking with the dog in the street, he's giving it a walk, and it runs off and it gets lost. He is absolved from responsibility. He just has to swear that he was not negligent. He tells the real story, and he doesn't have to pay. That's category number one. Category number two, continue in source number three. The paid guardian. The paid guardian is being paid for his services. Since he's being paid for his services... The level of care he is expected to provide and his responsibility in the case of mishap is greater. After all, you're paying him for his services. You expect him to elevate the notch of security. Here the Torah differentiates between avoidable damages such as loss, theft, and unavoidable damages such as armed robbery or natural death. The paid guardian is responsible for the former but he is absolved by oath of the latter. He is responsible if it gets lost. He can't say, it just ran away. What do you want me to do? That's why I paid you to hold on to it and make sure it doesn't run away. He can't say, oh, somebody broke into my house and took it. Well, you should have been there. That's why I'm paying you. But if the animal dies naturally, if there's an earthquake... If a natural disaster happens, if it gets kidnapped, if it gets seized through armed robbery, there was nothing he can do. It was unavoidable. Here he says, you're paying me, and I watched it, but this was something I could not control. He is absolved. Number three, the renter. The renter uses the object, but he pays for its use. So the Talmud actually cites two opinions of the status of the renter. Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Judah rules that he is like an unpaid guardian who is responsible only for outright negligence. And the reason is, he says, he uses it, but he also pays for it. So the use is paid for. Now he guards it for free. So he's like the unpaid custodian. Rabbi Meir is of the opinion that his obligations are identical to that of the paid custodian, and he's liable also for avoidable damages, like gneva and aveda, like theft and loss. The verdict follows the latter opinion of Rabbi Meir, 
That is the verdict that a soicher, a renter, is like a shomer socher. He is treated legally as a paid custodian. He's absolved from unavoidable damages. He is held responsible for avoidable damages. Finally, we come to number four, the borrower. The borrower, he holds the highest level of liability. Unlike the first two guardians, the paid custodian and the unpaid custodian, whose care of the object is for the sake of its owner, the object has been given to the borrower solely for his own benefit. And he doesn't even pay a thing. The renter also uses it for himself, but at least he pays. The borrower pays nothing. So he gets to use it and enjoy it and appreciate it for as long as he borrowed it, and he gives nothing in return. As a result, the Torah holds him responsible to return that which has been given to him intact, or else make good on its value, regardless of his degree of fault in the damage. Even if the borrowed object was destroyed by a lightning bolt, it was destroyed by a hurricane or by a tsunami. It's not his fault. The borrower must pay. You borrowed it for free, you used it, just return what you took, and I don't care what happened to it. So, in summation, we have the four guardians, we have the unpaid custodian, who is absolved of almost everything, even if it gets lost or stolen, as long as he was not negligent. We have the paid custodian and the renter, and we have, finally, the borrower. Four categories with different laws to each one. Now, it's known that every single law, mitzvah, commandment, story, episode in Torah has a physical, practical, pragmatic interpretation, but it also possesses a personal, psychological, emotional, and spiritual counterpart. The laws of the four guardians are no different. And this evening I want to explore these four guardians following the legal perspective, the spiritual and psychological perspective. And the commentary is based on a fascinating interpretation by present, presented by a man known as the Shalom. The Shalom was a Jew named Rabbi Yeshaya Halevi Horowitz. Rabbi Horowitz was born in the year 1558 in Poland. He was one of the great rabbinic leaders and sages in Poland in the 16th and 17th century. He served as the rabbi in Frankfurt am Main in Germany a rabbi in different cities in Poland, including Prague, the chief rabbi of Prague. And finally, he made Aliyah to the Holy Land. He was a rabbi in Jerusalem. He lived in Tzfas. And finally, he lived and passed away in the city of Tiberia of Tiberias. His monumental work is known as Shnei Luchoi Sabris, and hence the acronym for his name, Shalom. Shnei Luchoi Sabris. The Shalom passed away in Tiberias on Yud Aleph Nisan, Hei Tov Tzadik, on the 11th of Nisan, 1630, and he is interred in Tiberia. 
His work, as some of his other works, have become classics in Jewish literature, especially in the literature of Jewish ethics and mysticism and spirituality. The Shalah has a section known as Masechta Psachim and an essay known as Matzah Ashira, Rich Matzah. And there he discusses the four guardians. You'll soon see the connection to Pesach. His commentary has been elucidated and elaborated upon by the Lubavitcher Rebbe, who I had the privilege of hearing this talk from him on the Shabbos of Ayishlach, Tovshin Memzai, in 1986, 1987, where he discussed this commentary of the Shalab about the four custodians, and based on their commentaries, I'm presenting one idea from a much longer and elaborate discussion and its contemporary applications to each of our lives. The idea is based on the words of the Shalah, bring up source number four. Just as the four guardians apply to the civil relationship between man and his fellow man, they also apply to our relationship between the human being and God and Hashem. But what does this mean? How do we understand these four guardians in relations between us and God? The answer is, each of us is a Shomer. Each of us was given responsibility to be a steward, to be a guardian, to be a custodian of what? Of the world. We were given a body to take care of. We were given a soul, a personality, a mind to take care of. We were given a part of the world, of the universe to take care of. Each of us is a Shomer. Each of us is responsible to guard it, preserve it, and protect it. You must take care of your body. You must guard your life. You must protect your soul. And you must be there for the world around you. And here there are four different types of people. There is the borrower model, there is the renter model, there is the paid custodian model, and there is the unpaid custodian model. And I would like to ask you, which one do you think you are? Are you the borrower type? Are you the renter type? Are you the paid custodian type? Or are you the unpaid custodian type? Which one do you strive to be? Which one do you aspire to be? What do you think is the appropriate model? The first is the borrower. The borrower's model is very simple. He says, listen, I will not pay you a thing, but I want to enjoy it, and I want to milk it, and I want to use it for my opportunity and benefit as long as I can. This is one model of life. A person who lives in the world and believes, ask, let me ask not what I can do for someone else, let me ask what everybody else can do for me. I know Kennedy said it a little differently. <laughs> this is the model where I believe that I get to enjoy whatever I can. I'm here to enjoy and use it for my benefit. The world around me and what was given to me. I, I should not pay anything back in return. That's why I define the borrower as the user. This guy believes in using anything and anybody he or she can. The Shalah brings for this a verse in Isaiah and Yeshaya. Bring up source number five, please. Yeshaya Navi the prophet Isaiah describes the characters. Joyous, 
Parig Bakar. Kill cows, kill bulls, shachet soin, slaughter sheep. Achel basa v'shasis yain, eat meat, drink wine. Achel v'shasa, eat and drink, kimachar namas, tomorrow we die. So the borrower doesn't see life in terms of responsibility, of destiny, of a mission, of a commitment, of any form of responsibility. It's here for me to enjoy Self-aggrandizement, self-preservation, and self-gratification is the key. I owe nothing to nobody. Nothing precedes me. I don't think of terms of life in terms of something precedes me, and I have come as a second rung in the chain. No, my pleasure defines its value. Model number one. Model number two. Model number two is the renter. The enjoyer of life. I rent it, which means I want to use it to my benefit. I want to expose it. I want to explore it. But I realize that I have to pay a fee. So this is the person whose philosophy in life is, yes, it is for me. Just as the borrower says it's for me, the renter says it's also for me. I don't borrow or use your product in order to guard it for you. I use it for me. That's the difference between the first two, the two custodians, and the latter two, the borrower and the renter. The renter, I rent your car not to protect your car. I rent it to use it, to enjoy it, to benefit from it. But I realize I have to pay a due. Like taxes. You open a business, you don't open a business in order to be able to support the government with your taxes. You open a business because you want to make money. But you live in a country which protects you, there's a social contract, and you surrender some of your benefits and rights we call taxes. And many other models in life, this is the model of the renter. I am here to enjoy, but I realize I have to pay a due. This is the enjoyer. Now we come to model number three in life. Model number three is the paid custodian. I'm not taking it in order to use it. I'm taking it in order to guard it. I'm working for the owner who needs it to be guarded, and I am committing myself to guard this product or this animal. But I'm not a freebie. I'm not that idealistic. <laughs> I need to get paid. I need to take care of myself. I'm a servant. I'm a worker. I'm not the user, and I'm not even the enjoyer. I'm here to work. I'm committed. I'm responsible. I realize that there's a mission I have to fulfill in life, but I want to get paid. This is model number three. And in our relationship with life, and with God, and with morality, and with humanity, and with history, there are three models. There's the one who focuses completely on himself, the narcissist. It's just for me and I don't owe anybody anything. There is the renter. It's for me, but yes, God, I will pay my due. I will do my mitzvah. I will do my kind deed. I will be nice. There is the paid custodian, the one who's there to serve. I am a servant. I am a worker. I work for you. But... I need a return. 
I need you to reciprocate. And then there's the fourth model, the Shalos says. The Shemachinam will call him the soldier. The Shemachinam says, I don't actually need anything. I don't have any expectations. I don't have any needs. I was created to serve you. That is my identity. Whatever you want to do with me, you'll do with me. You want me to be here, I'll be here. You want me to be there, I'll be there. You want me to be in this state, I'll be in this state. Wherever I am, I see my entire life as one symphony of service to you. What I get and I don't get really doesn't matter. I am not the issue here. I am just a conduit and a channel for your will, for your desire. Maimonides describes this person, the Rambam. Source number six, Rambam Hilchas Truva, Perik Yud, the tenth chapter of the laws of repentance. The Rambam says, Ha'evid Meyava, there's somebody who serves out of love. He is involved in Torah and mitzvahs and follows the pathways of wisdom. Not for any ulterior motive, nothing in the world. He's not scared of evil. He's not even interested in inheriting the goodness in the future world. That's also not the motivation. He does the truth because it's true. Goodness will come as a result, but that's not motivating him. This is a unique state of mind. Not everybody merits it. This was the life of Abraham, our father, whom God calls his friend, his beloved one. Because his service was completely saturated with love, with affection. There is an extraordinary interpretation presented by the sixth Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Rebbe Rayat Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak Schneerson, who once, upon his arrival to the United States of America after a hellish experience in Eastern Europe under Stalin, and then in Nazi-occupied Warsaw, and he arrived to the United States to the shores of New York in 1940, March 1940. And shortly thereafter, he once said the following interpretation. We say in the book of Psalms in Tehillim, in Hallel, Ano Hashem ki ani avdecha, ani avdecha ben amasecha pitachta l'meisera. What do these words mean? Ano Hashem ki ani avdecha, they're usually translated as, Ano Hashem, please God, help me out, ki ani avdecha, I am your servant. But the Lubavitcher Rebbe asked the following question. Ano, which means please, is usually written with an aleph at the end. Aleph, nun, aleph. As in Halil, Ana Hashem Hashiyana, please God help us. Here, however, the verse is written with a hey. The word is written with a hey. Ana, aleph, nun, hey. Ana Hashem, not aleph, nun, aleph, but aleph, nun, hey. Aleph, nun, aleph is a request when you beseech someone and say, please. Aleph nun hey actually means something else. It means we're in Hebrew. What King David is saying is, Ona Hashem ki ani avdecha. Zagmir ebrishter vu, bal ich bedan knecht. Tell me, God, where you want me to be, because I am your servant. This is the model of the unpaid guardian. I have no preconceived and defined expectations, objectives for myself. 
tell me unaware. I have nothing. I'm yours. As the Mishnah says at the end of Tractate Kiddushan, I was created to serve my Creator. That is who I am. I'm yours. I'm here to serve you, to fulfill your will. Tell me where or not. Tell me how. You want to pay me, you'll pay me. You don't want to pay me, you won't pay me. This is the Shavachinam. This is the fourth model, the Shalossas. The Baal once explained as a verse, Shivisi Hashem Lenegdi Summit, which means I place God before me continuously. So the Baal said, Shivisi, which is usually translated as I place, can also be translated as identical from the word Hishtavos. Identical. The same. Sameness. So the Baal writes in his book Tzavos Arivosh, he says, extraordinary interpretation. Shivisi Hashem Lenegdi Summit means when God is before me continuously, Shivisi, then everything in life is identical. If God is always before me, then every experience in life is identical. There's no such a thing that some experiences, I'm exhilarated, I'm up there, I'm inspired. And other experiences, I'm down, I'm shattered, I'm destroyed, I'm in despair. Shivisi. If God is always before me, if I'm an unpaid custodian, Anash, tell me where you want me to be, and I'm in. I'm just serving you. I'm a channel for your will. I'm a conduit for your purpose in every moment, at every moment, at every encounter, and under all circumstances. Shivisi. Yes and no. Become identical. To quote the famous opinion of Rabbi Akiva in Mechilta, how the Jews responded to the Ten Commandments. On yes, they said yes. And on no, they also said hein, they also said yes. There's a story about the Holy Reb Nachum of Chernobyl, a student of the Baal Shem Tev, the Holy Baal Shem Tev. And the Heleke Chernobyl of Chernobyl once came to a city and he found out that there was no mikveh in the city. There was no spiritual ritual bath for Jewish women. So necessary for the integrity and the holiness of the Jewish family. And he asks, is there nobody who can build a mikveh? And they say, we're poor people, we can't afford a mikveh. Reb Nachum of Chernobyl says, is there not one Jew who can afford a mikveh? They say, there is one man who can do it. But he is so stingy. He refuses to part with even a single ruble. On Shabbos, Reb Nachum Chernobyl gets up on the bimeh, and he says, listen, whoever donates the money to build a mikveh in this town, I am giving him my share of olam haba, my share of the world to come. Now this wealthy Jew was stingy, but he was not a fool. To acquire on a golden platter the, pl- the, part, the part of Reb Nachum of Chernobyl in the world to come, was not a deal you refuse. And he immediately after Shabbos put down the money around 20,000 ruble to construct a beautiful mikveh for Jewish women in the city. And Reb Nachum Chernobyler would give him Olam Haba, the world to come. And the mikveh was built. I want you to think about the story for a moment. Many Jews would think to themselves, what does this mean? Somebody once asked me, what does this mean? 
the whole reason he does or she does mitzvahs, the whole reason he or she is committed to Torah and mitzvahs is because he or she believes that this is their passport to Olam Abba, to the world to come. This world is a temporary journey, and ultimately in the world to come, he or she wants to have the ultimate reward. Here, Ibn Nachum of Chernobyl is building a mikveh, and he's giving away his Olam Abba. Why should he do it? But Ibn Nachum Chernobyl was a Shemer Chinam. He wasn't a Shemer Sachar. He was an unpaid custodian. He wasn't a paid custodian. In the words of the Rambam, He was involved in truth because it was true. It wasn't about him. I want the world to come. I want the ultimate reward. I want eternal bliss. The borrower says, I want to enjoy this world. And the paid custodian says, I'm serving you, but I want something in return. The unpaid custodian says, it's not about me. And if Jews don't have a mikveh, Jewish children will not be born with the spiritual sacredness that the Torah instructs the Jewish children to be born as a result of the mikveh. What do I need my Elam Haba for? What do I need my future reward for? I was created to serve. If I have to give my Elam Haba for the mikveh, so be it. This was the Holy of Nachum of Chernobyl. This is the fourth model. The model of the unpaid custodian. And by the way, these four models don't only exist in a relationship with God. They exist in every single marriage. They exist in relationships between friends and people. There are four types of marriages. Here again, raise your hand. There's a marriage, so the model is, I'm a borrower. Which means I will use the marriage for my benefit. Do I have to give back anything in return? No, it's about me. You know the story. This, this guy was on a date with a girl. So the girl afterwards complained that she can't go out with him again. Why not, she said. For the first three hours, all he did was, he spoke about himself. Three hours, from seven till ten, he didn't stop talking about himself. Finally, after three hours, he turns to the young woman and he says, you know, it's enough of me talking about myself. Let me hear, what do you have to say about me? This is the borrower. There's only one person in his life. Then there's a renter. The renter says, listen, I'm here for my own enjoyment. I am here to benefit from the marriage and to milk every ounce I can. But I'm a mensch. I realize you have to pay your dues. <laughs> you have to help. You have to buy a gift. You have to score points. I am, I am the foundation of the marriage. It's about me enjoying the product and the reality. But I realize I have to pay. And then there is the paid custodian. No. I am committed. I am a servant. I am a worker. I am here to protect the beautiful and sacred institution of marriage, but I need to get paid. And then there's the unpaid custodian. Somebody who's actually completely committed. They surrender their ego, not because they're shmatas, because they have the confidence and the inner strength and core that they can transcend themselves and say, I am here for you. Four types of relationships, four types of friendships, four types of marriages. What type of friend are you? What type of husband are you? What type of wife are you? What type of human being are you? What type of Jew are you? The Shalah continues and says that there were four personas, four personalities in the beginning of history which personified these four models. Avram Avinu. Who was Avram Avinu? Abraham, he was the Shomer Chinam. 
The Rambam said in the laws of Tshuva, I discussed earlier, Avram was a man who served God with complete love. No ulterior motives or considerations. But there's a verse which captures it beautifully. Please bring up source number 7. Zak the Pasuk in Bereshis, Perik Chavav, God describes Avram, Ekev Avshashama Avram Bekoili, Vayishmar Mishmarti. I love Abraham, he listens, he hearkens to my voice, Vayishmar Mishmarti, and he guards, he's a custodian of Mishmarti. He preserves my things which need to be preserved. Avram was a Shemrechina, Mishmarti, he guarded the world, he guarded life, he guarded humanity, he protected civilization, Mishmarti, for God's sake. Model number two, Adam Harishai, first human being, he, according to Rabbi Yeshaya Halevi Horowitz, the Halek Shalom, he was the Shemasachar, he was the paid custodian. Take a look, source number eight. What does God do with Adam? God places Adam in the Garden of Eden to work the garden, and to preserve, to watch the garden. But right after that, what does he tell him? You can eat from all of the trees in the garden besides one tree. You're not working for free. You will benefit. You will enjoy the garden. The entire garden is yours to enjoy. But one tree. And what entices, what motivates Adam to violate the rule and eat from that tree too? Because the serpent came to him with a better offer. He said, listen, God is, God is letting you eat all the trees. But if you eat from this tree, you'll be like God. <laughs> the wage is much better. Adam knew you have to see what the wages. God was promising a lot of benefits. But the serpent was promising better benefits. So if you're working for somebody for $50,000 a year, and somebody asks you to do the same work, you have to violate, but you're getting double or triple. What's the question? So Adam transfers allegiance. Adam Marishan changes domains, and he listens to the serpent. Why? The model here was a shomer sacher. He was a paid custodian. Then you have the generation of the flood between Adam and Noah. And they are described as ultimate borrowers. They believed the world is ours to enjoy based on our gluttonous addictions, desires, cravings, appetites. We have no responsibility or allegiance to anybody but ourselves. And thus they created moral anarchy and corruption in society. And then there was Noah. Noah, Noah is the renter. He's the socher. He's not like Adam, the custodian who wants to get paid. He is the renter who is here to use and enjoy the world for his benefit. But he realizes you have to pay dues. You have to pay membership in order to survive. And this is the contrast between Noah and his generation. His generation felt they have no responsibility. They don't owe anybody anything. Noah understood, at least, I owe God something. I owe the world something. I owe life something. I'm a student of life. I'm a recipient of life. I owe something. In order to own, I have to owe. And that is why Noah is described, open up source number 9, bring up source number 9. Vayachel Noach Ish Ha'adamah. 
Noach, the man of the earth, plants a vineyard, drinks, and gets drunk. Why is he called Isha Adama, the man of the earth? And the Shalosh says, because this was Noach. Noach was a man of earth. Noach was a man who was entrenched in earth. He wanted his own existence. He wanted to endure. He wanted to preserve himself. And he realized, if you want to exist, you have to help existence. And therefore he was a tzaddik, he was righteous. But essentially he was the renter. Now let's take it a step further. Open up source number 10 please. When the Jews are leaving Egypt, Moses tells them, you should guard the matzahs, they shouldn't become leaven. Says the Mechilta source number 10, you should guard the mitzvahs. So the act of Pesach, of making a Seder, is defined as guarding. We are custodians of the matzah. Because it can't become leaven. You have to guard it. It shouldn't rise. We are also custodians of God's mitzvahs, of God's commandments. Indeed, by the Seder, we have four children. And the four children of the Seder correspond to the four shomrim, the four guardians. Chachem. The sensitive child, the smart, the clever child. Avram Avinu represents the Shemer Chinam, the unpaid custodian. Russia, the second child, the rebellious one. He's the Shoal, the borrower, like the generation leading up to the flood. You have Tam, the innocent one, the simple one, represents Adam, the Shomer Sachar, the paid custodian. In fact, he explains Tam, Rashi says Tam. Yaakov is called Ishtam. And the Torah, Rashi explains why Ishtam. Tam means you're not a deceiver and you don't get deceived. You're straight. You're a straight person. Adam was a straight person. Simple and straight. I work for you. I just want to get paid. I want to go home with a nice paycheck. Yaakov Avinu was a Shomer Socher for Laban. He worked for Laban and he wanted to get paid. He wanted to get paid and he made sure he got paid. Adam was ultimately deceived, like a Tom is deceived. He was deceived by the serpent, who promised him a great wage, and he went away with nothing. He got expelled from the Garden of Eden, and many other consequences from the Tree of Knowledge. Finally, the one who doesn't know how to ask. This is Noah. This is the Sochi, this is the renter. He doesn't ask for anything. And the Shalah says because he doesn't ask for things outside of himself, he's interested in himself. And this was Noah. Noah was a man who didn't know how to ask. When Abraham hears from God that Sodom and Gomorrah are about to be destroyed, I'm going to go down to Sodom and figure out what's happening, and I may destroy it. Abraham starts interviewing God, starts asking questions, starts complaining, starts lamenting, starts demonstrating. Will the judge of the whole world behave in an unjust fashion? Suddenly Abraham is interviewing God. When Noah hears the words, Kate's cold bosser bolophonai, the end of humanity is approaching. I will, elibor- el- I, will, I will obliterate all of civilization. Noah doesn't ask a single question. Doesn't register a single complaint. Doesn't convey a single lament. Doesn't make any demonstrations. She'ein na He doesn't ask. He does not ask. Abraham is the chacham. He asks. Adam is the Shemer Sacha, the Tam. The generation of the flood is the Russia. Noah is the Shemer Sacha, the renter. I take care of myself. I ask only things that are relevant to me. And I pay my dues. I'm not a bad guy. 
I just don't know how to ask. I don't have an interest or a curiosity in that which transcends me. Now, what are the laws with each one of these models? We discussed in the beginning of the class, in the pr practical, physical four guardians, what the laws are. What are the laws when it comes to these four models of life? When I say what are the laws, I mean what are the psychological and emotional and spiritual consequences? So, we know the verse, Hashem Tzilcha, in Tehillim, in Psalms. King David says, Hashem Tzilcha, God is your shadow. And the Baal Shem Tev once explained, what does it mean God is your shadow? The shadow follows you. Each movement you make is replicated in the shadow. God responds to us. Based on the way you define your relationship to life, to God, to history, to other people, is the way your shadow responds to you. Hashem Tzilcha, God is your shadow. So let's now go through these models we discussed. These four figures, these four personality types. The user, the enjoyer, the servant, the worker, and the soldier. And let us see how the legalistic formula articulated in Torah and Talmud applies psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually to these four types of figures. The borrower. What was the law with the borrower we explained? The borrower is absolved of nothing. Even if an earthquake comes and kills the animal, even if a hurricane comes and seizes the object, he cannot claim it was unavoidable, there was nothing I can do. It's true there was nothing you can do. But you are responsible to compensate the lender for his or her loss. Psychologically speaking, it means this. You may choose the free lunch approach of the borrower. But then, says the Almighty, you must take full responsibility for your life as well. If things go weary in your life, if you error, if you blunder, even if circumstances beyond your control overwhelm you, it's your problem. After all, you decided it was your life. And this is the advantage and the, the disadvantage of the borrower. And I have to say, each of these four models has an advantage and has a disadvantage. There's no questioning that the borrower has advantages in life. Many of us know it. I want a free lunch, and I don't want to give anything back in return. Narcissism, selfishness, self-centeredness is a quality that's very ingrained and entrenched in human nature. And many of us have days when we are borrowers or we are close to borrowers. But when the borrower falls, he has nobody to lean on. He has nobody to pick him up. He can't come and say, it's not my fault. This was unavoidable. You're right. Sometimes things in life are unavoidable. There are circumstances in life that are beyond anybody's control. There's nothing you can do about it. And when those circumstances happen and the borrower falls down, he has nobody to hold on to, to pick him up, to lift her up, to give them hope and camaraderie, because the borrower has only himself or herself in life. So the borrower might say, why am I so alone in life? But yes, 
you are ultimately alone. Just as in the good times you were alone, there was nothing but you. In the bad times, you are also alone. There is nobody left but you, and ultimately you lose that too. You never let anybody in in your life. You may say today, it's not me, it's not my fault. But for you, there was nothing outside of me. So who do you want should share with you in your moment of agony, in your moment of crisis, in your moment of loss? This applies to marriage as well. There are people, throughout their marriage, they're extremely self-centered. It's about me, my needs, my desires, my wants. And I don't even feel I have to give you back anything in return. But you know, circumstances in life change. Reality has a funny way of dealing with people, with all people, and self-centered people as well. And when that crisis comes, you don't have a partner whose hand you can hold to be able to walk through the valley of darkness or the challenges that arise because you are ultimately alone in a very solitary and lonely world. Yes, when you were flying high, you didn't need anybody. You were the borrower, you were the user, you were the manipulator. You made sure never to be the nail, you made sure always to be the hammer. But when a difficult time comes, when there are damages, unavoidable damages, you can't say, it's not me. For you, there's nothing but me. You carry your own burden. That's the way you wanted it to be. When the burden was light and fun, you loved it. Now the burden is not light and it's not enjoyable, but you're alone. That's the borrower. And I should say, the borrower itself has so many categories. The higher levels, lower levels. But this is the nucleus. This is the nucleus of the idea. I think we understand what it means. Then you have the renter. The renter also says, it's for me, but he pays. The paid custodian says, it's not for me, it's for you, but I want to get paid. Here there is a relationship that is molded. Here you're not left alone. Here you were always cognizant to the fact that there was someone else. There was another. And therefore, when there are unavoidable circumstances in life, when different realities in the world strike us, which we don't control, you are not alone. You are not in solitariness. You are not in solitude. You do not have to carry the burden of life alone. But you're not absolved completely. There are things you are responsible for. You did get paid for your work and therefore you have to deliver. Someone paid you for watching it. If it was unavoidable, you don't carry the responsibility. But there are certain things you are responsible for. The renter you're enjoying it. You're paid your dues, but you're enjoying it. You're responsible. You're responsible for theft. You're responsible for loss. As the Shalah explains it, theft means deception. We sometimes deceive ourselves or others, consciously or unconsciously. Losses, we lose things. We lose our time. We waste time. Sometimes in a marriage, you lose things. And sometimes you're deceptive unconsciously. You get paid. You're responsible for it. Gneva you're responsible. 
Now, there's the unpaid guardian, the Shemachin. The unpaid guardian in life, Gewalt, he's absolved from vulnerability to everything, save outright negligence. As long as the unpaid custodian remains faithful to his mission in life, he need not be worried or concerned by any trappings the world may present to him or her because he sees his life solely in terms of his creator. God takes full responsibility for his life. The unpaid custodian is free. He's liberated. He's happy. He doesn't hold on to anything that he has to protect. He never held on to anything. Never bitter. Never resentful. Never angry. It's very difficult to bring him down. He was never busy protecting his interests, his self. Not even like the paid custodian who wants to be paid. The Shomer Chinam was a complete servant. And because of that, he or she experiences a certain freedom and liberty. A certain lightness and joy that the other models cannot even begin to imagine. You know the story of the bird. The Medrash brings the story. It also became a famous story. This bird is in an art gallery. And they want, to, they want to shoot it down. And the bird is trying to figure out what to do. And the bird was not, was clever. So what did the bird do? The bird went to the portrait of the czar. And landed right on the portrait of the czar's face. Right on the face. The bird knew nobody's going to shoot now. Because for shooting the portrait of the czar, they themselves can be executed. This is what the Shomer Chinam does. The unpaid custodian is like a bird flies and lands on the shoulders, so to speak, of the Almighty. And therefore, in a way, he or she has a certain freedom and openness that nobody can take for them, from them. Because they don't have to hold up their own life. The paid custodian still maintains the vestige of self. I still need to protect myself. I need my paycheck. The renter, certainly. The borrower, huh? It's all about himself or herself. The unpaid custodian gave it up. I have nothing to protect. And therefore God takes full responsibility for his or her life. You know the story, my friends, the story about a person who passes away, comes up to heaven, When people come to heaven, they're taken through a beach, a long beach. And at the shore of the beach, there's lovely sand. And the sand is filled with footsteps. And the person is showing the journey of his or her life. And the journey is expressed through the footsteps. When they were born and they just began to grow up, the footsteps were very small and tiny. As they grow older, the footsteps expand. And then when they grow old and sick, once again, the footsteps become small until they disappear. They vanish, which represents death. And each person is taken by God and shown their journey expressed in the footsteps in the sand. And each footstep, its shape, its size, its character, captures the state of mind and the state of heart 
the person was in during that stage of their life. Great, beautiful moments are expressed in robust, nice footsteps. Difficult moments are expressed in frail footsteps and so forth. And so this guy comes to heaven, and God takes him through and starts showing him his footsteps. And the man is looking at his footsteps, and he sees something very interesting. Near his footsteps are someone else's footsteps. There are two set of footprints, and he asks God, who is this one walking near me? And God says, my son, it's me. I walk near you throughout your life. I hold your hand. I'm there at your side from the moment you open your eyes until you breathe your last breath. And this man starts scrutinizing and examining his life, and he is intrigued by a very enigmatic detail. He sees that at some point in his life, there was no second set of footprints, only his. And when he looked closer, he realized that those were the worst, most difficult, most traumatic moments in his life. And he turns to God and he says, I don't understand. During these moments when I needed you most, you were not here for me. Why? And God says, my son, during those moments, I was not walking at your side. I was carrying you. The footsteps you see are not yours. They're mine. And here we come, finally, to the conversation we have with each of these four people during the Seder night in the Haggadah. What does the Shemer Chinam say? What does the unpaid custodian say? He wants to know all the details of the commandments. He wants to know how to serve. And we tell him, I'm quoting from the Haggadah. You make sure to leave the Seder satiated. We tell the unpaid custodian, you will be the most satiated and happy of all. Because since you have nothing to hold on to and to protect, you can be vulnerable and free and truly happy and wholesome. You're not busy investing to protect an ego which doesn't really exist. The Russia. Russia, he asks, what is this for? Life is just about narcissistic, self-centered enjoyment at the moment. You tell him, Lachem v'loi loi. Hoitziyat v'minaklal. Ilu hoyosham loi. Nigel says the shalah. Gavaldik says the shalah. The shalah says the borrower has to realize that he is all of his investments and all of his energy and resources he or she is allocating for somebody else. Lachem v'loi loi. Because that is the paradox of life. When you invest only in yourself, you are really investing in everybody but yourself. And when you invest in something that's beyond yourself, you ultimately invest in yourself. Because when you invest only in your materialistic momentary pleasure, what's left of it? Nothing. You may enjoy yourself today, but tomorrow you're depressed again. Tomorrow you'll enjoy yourself, the next day you're depressed. Your whole life you continue to enjoy yourself, and then you pass on and there's nothing left for you. All the money... And anything you amass that's physical is left for other people. Lachem v'loy The Russia, by being such a narcissist, actually has nothing left. 
He didn't invest in his real self and his true self. And then there's the Tom. The Tom is the third person. The Tom is the Shomer Sacha, the paid custodian. He wants to know, Mazois, what's in it for me? love, you tell him, God liberated us from slavery with a strong hand. In other words, God ultimately is the one who has power in this world. And therefore, if you want real reward, if you want real fulfillment, if you want real serenity, serve God. And then there's the Sha'ini Yadayali Shail, the one who doesn't know how to ask. He's a renter. He's just simple. I just want to enjoy myself and I'm gonna pay my dues. At Psachloi says the Shaloi, you have to tell him about the beginning. You have to explain to him about the beginning of everything. You have to ask him, is there anything in life that you can really call yours? Isn't all of life a gift? Hasn't everything you have been given to you? Is there anything you can really call your own? At Explain to him the beginning of everything. His perspective is narrow. His perspective is small. He sees himself as the center of his universe. He's just ready to pay a few fees in order to compensate. At Explain to him the beginning of everything. And help him elevate himself and realize that he too is a soldier. He too is a servant created to serve God and bring redemption to a world desperately in need of it. Have a wonderful day.